We're in the book of John, right? Because uh, several weeks ago I talked about belonging, and Jesus just wanted us to belong. He, as he went to the disciples, he said, just follow me. Come hang out. Come feel like you belong. And I, I really think the church, guys, not our church, but all churches, just in general, I think we screwed that up. We, we want to tell people that you have to believe the way we believe, you have to behave the way we behave, and then maybe after that we'll even let you belong. And you say, well, that's not true. Sure it is because people want to join the church, and what happens? They have to join the church, and the church votes on whether or not they can join. Now, I've never been, I've never been in a church, thank God, that someone come up to join, and I ask, and they, you know, a bunch of hands say no, okay, uh, because I pretty much try to do my homework prior. But it's true because we want to vote whether or not we're going to let them belong, Jesus just simply said, hey, follow me, right? Hey, come belong, come hang out. He even told Judas Iscariot, hey, follow me, come hang out. And he knew Judas was going to betray him. It's not like Jesus, you know, one morning woke up and was like, oh, I've got the devil walking around with me. He's going to betray me. He knew from the beginning of time that Judas would betray him, yet he allowed Judas to hang out with him. He actually ordained Judas as one of the 12 apostles, right? So... Jesus knew he wasn't taken back from that, but he said, hey, just come belong, come hang out. Well, then we started talking about believing, right? Because I believe that if you will belong long enough, if you, if you will hang out around Jesus long enough, he will change you from the inside out. It's not our job to change people. Matter of fact, I can't make you believe anything. I can try to convince you, but ultimately that decision whether or not you're going to believe or not is on you. So the book of John actually is the perfect book to talk about believing. Because actually John, in John chapter 20, let me read it for you. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the Bible says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, the entire book of John was written so that we might believe. Everything about it is about believing that Jesus really is who he said he is. It's unlike the other three. It's completely unlike the other three. John actually uses the term believe or some variation of that over a hundred times throughout the gospel because he wants us to believe. He wants us to see Jesus as the God's son. Jesus as God in a bod. Jesus as God robed in human flesh for us. He actually even starts out the book, remember, in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. We talked about that two weeks ago, right? We talked about the fact that Jesus is eternal. We talked about the fact that Jesus really is God, right? I mean, when God said, hey, do this, Jesus, although he was God the Son, he was telling himself, in essence, hey, do it. Now, we talked about trying to understand how all that works, too, and it's kind of like an egg, remember? The shell of the egg is an egg. The inside part of the egg, guess what? It's still an egg. And the yolk is still an egg. And without one of the three, it's not really an egg. See, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're all God, revealed in three different personalities for us. 
Now, some of you may be like scratching your head thinking, I, I don't understand. Hey, I'm going to be honest, I don't either. I just know that he's God. Okay, I know that he's God. I know that as the screen says that we, we must first know what he is so that we can believe who he is. Because society tells us that Jesus was a good teacher. For some people, some people will, even sitting in here, some people will take Jesus as a good teacher. And if that's where you're at today and you want to accept him as a good teacher, that's great. Just accept him as a good teacher and keep going. Some people might even take Jesus as a prophet. One sent from God, not God's son, but a, a prophet, one that operated in the Holy Spirit, one that was able to do miraculous signs and wonders. And if that's where you're at today, that's okay. You can take him there and accept that and move on with it. That's okay. But some of us, I believe, in this very room take Jesus as the Savior. We take Jesus as the one sent from God to walk the earth and die for our sins upon the cross. But let me understand, it's not good enough for us just to take Jesus as a Savior and accept that. You have to understand that Jesus really is God. That God put himself in our place so that he could redeem us back to him. Now, I've heard some people say, well, God's pretty sick if he went ahead and created us knowing that he'd have to send his son to die for us, knowing that some people wouldn't believe in him, they'd still go to hell. I don't understand how that makes him sick. It means that he gave us free will. So as we talk today, we're only going to cover, cover, cover several verses, but I, I want to share with you, I, I don't know how many of you might know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. Not very many? Nobody? Okay. Miss Laura, she's always my saving grace. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a, was a theologian, a preacher, a Bible scholar. He lived around the same time in Nazi Germany. Actually, he was starting to come to his rise, and I don't mean rise in fame, but he was starting to come into his own and mature as a preacher and a theologian right about the same time that Hitler began to take over Germany. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer would stand in his pulpit and he would struggle with the idea of where are we supposed to play in politics. That's a struggle that's real today too, let me just tell you. The church says, where are we supposed to play in politics? Let me just real quickly sidetrack and say that we obey the law. And as long as the law does not contradict the word of God, we obey it. When it contradicts the word of God, then we cease to obey the law. Politicians, if you want to line them all up and you say, well, they believe this, that if any one of their beliefs are contradictory to the Bible, you as a Christian should look at that and say, well, I have to say, well, then how do I vote for any of them? That's between you and God, not me. I'm just telling you that. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer struggled with that. So several years into it, he got caught. He got arrested because he had joined a, a rebellion. And what he was doing was he, he was helping smuggle Jews out and get them out of the country, smuggle them into Austria, smuggle them into other parts of Europe to get them away. So they arrested Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They threw him in jail. For the next two and a half, three years, he would travel around from jail to jail, not intentionally, but they constantly moved him from concentration camp to prison, another camp, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, he would write letters home, and he, in one of his letters he said, whenever I decided to join the resistance, I knew, I knew that that would be a defining moment for my life. That decision 
would be a defining moment for my life. So two and a half, three years later, they marched him down a set of stairs with a bunch of other prisoners, and they stood them right at the bottom of the stairs and opened fire and killed them all. But Bonhoeffer is not remembered necessarily for that. He's remembered for the quote that he made a decision that would be a defining moment for the rest of his life. See, you're faced today with a decision that will be a defining moment for the rest of your life. You'll hear about who Jesus is. You'll hear about what Jesus is. But you yourself will have to decide what you're going to do with it. It will be a defining moment for you. You'll either say, well, I've already done it, and maybe I'm serving him the way I should. Great. But I'm just going to be honest. I don't think any of us are serving Jesus the way that we should. Well, there's improvement for all of us. Maybe you're in here today and you say, you know what, I, I made that defining moment where I decided Jesus Christ was Lord of my life. And I, I made that moment. I know that I'm saved, but then I quickly turned the other way and started living the wrong way. And maybe the defining moment for you today is to get right with God. Maybe it's time to quit being a slacker and get back on track. Maybe some of you, your defining moment will be that you finally realize who he is and what he is and you accept him just for that or maybe some of you will hear all of that and reject him anyways and that'll be a defining moment too because if you reject jesus christ the bible says now it's the bible you can argue with me if you want but it's hard to argue with the bible the bible says if you reject jesus christ that you'll spend all of eternity in hell it's in there so today I want to talk to you about defining moments. I, I want to talk to you about a decision that you could make, not make, ignore, that is going to define not just the rest of your life, but will define all of your eternity. So if you've got your Bible open up, hopefully it's already open to the book of John, but we're going to read John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And actually we've got some other verse. Maybe, Ronnie, if you'll back up to that, that first group of verses we'll just read them all real quick where it's 6 through 13 is that where you're at okay and then so we'll read them all we'll pray and then we'll dive in and uh i've got lots of time so who knows i may may even get you out of here by noon probably not um all right <laughs> let's let's read the bible the bible says in verse 6 hey if you've got an ink pen or a highlighter it's okay to write in your bible it's okay to circle certain things in your Bible, highlight things. And if you say, I'm not writing in my Bible, that, that's okay. I'm not blasting you for that. I printed the verses on your card, too. So you can highlight or circle those on your card, too, okay? So the Bible says this. There was a man sent from God. Underline that man sent from God. And understand that although this is in the book of John, that John is not talking about himself. Okay? John is not talking about himself. He says, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all, circle that word all, we'll come back to it, who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will 
of man, but of God. Father God, we thank you for this day. And God, I pray right now, Father, that you would take over my body. God, I pray that you would send the words out across my lips, Father, that you want to go. God, I pray that you would soften the hearts, Father, that you'll break down the walls. God, that your word will accomplish what it's been sent forth to do, as we know it will. God, again, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And Father, we pray that you would just be pleased right now to allow your presence to fill this room. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So back up there to verses, uh, and we'll start in verse 6, because there is a, number one in your notes, you, there is a decision that you have to make. You have to make a decision about Jesus. You can't just sit back and say, well, maybe someday, because let me just be honest, someday may not come. And I, I'm, I've often thought about that someday word, when is someday? Is someday Monday? Is someday Friday? Is someday next Monday? When is someday? It's like when someone tells me, well, I'll try. Well, you're just giving yourself a reason not to do it, right? When you tell me, well, someday maybe, I'm thinking someday you'll never. Because the fact is, it's placed before you, and you have to make a decision about who Jesus Christ is. You have to make that decision. Verses 6 through 10 is going to tell us exactly who he is. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, we understand that that's not the Apostle John, right? We understand that that's John the Baptist. Now, let me just say real quick, John wasn't really Baptist as much as we might like to think he is, okay? I, I've heard a lot of Baptist preachers say, well, see, we've got John the Baptist, not John the Catholic, not John the Presbyterian, not John the Methodist, not John. So we've got one. No, he was called John the Baptist because he baptized people. Okay, he baptized them by immersion, which I believe is the biblical method for baptism. It's by immersion. It's your whole body going under. We don't need to hold you under too long, but it's going all the way under and coming all the way back out. Okay, so he came as a witness to testify about the light. A witness. You know what a witness does? A witness tells of what they've heard or what they've seen. Now, there are people, some theologians, some guys a whole lot smarter than me, uh, that believe that even John had not seen Jesus as of yet. Because we have to understand, Jesus' ministry is just kicking off, right? It hasn't even launched out yet. So how did John know who Jesus is? Well, I'm just going to say that I believe it was by divine revelation. I believe that God came to John and gave him that, that knowledge of who Jesus is. But he was bearing witness. He was sharing what he knew about Jesus. Let me stop real quick and ask you. Are you sharing? Are you telling people who Jesus is? See, we have the advantage, I think, sometimes, and sometimes I believe it's a disadvantage, but we have the advantage that we've seen and read and heard all these great things that Jesus has done. But I think it's a disadvantage because sometimes we think that other people should already know. Do you understand that Jesus since taken out of school. I was watching a, a uh, county school board meeting, not our county, thank God, but uh, a county school board meeting. And so they said the pledges at the beginning, right? Pledge to the flag. They said that. Then they prayed. And let me just tell you, uh, in, in terms of prayer, like I've been invited to come down and pray for the, uh, the county board of commissioners. I've been to the school board and prayed for the school board. Okay, and they don't ask me to write my prayer out, and if I did, I'd probably lie. But uh, 
I'm just honest. I probably would because I'm going to pray. I'm still going to pray whether you like it or not. But anyways, um, so they pray all through there, but you better not pray in school. So I was watching the school board meeting the other day, and a parent, after they prayed and did that, they had public comment section, which is probably not the best time to give a public comment section, especially for this lady who got up. And she just got up and just asked the question, why is it okay for us to pray at a school board meeting, but we can't pray at school? That makes some sense, don't it? I mean, you ain't even got to be real smart for that to make some sense. That just makes some sense. So it's interesting because we want to go places or we want to pray before our food, right? But if you're out in a public restaurant, and I'm, I'm as guilty as some of you, we want to pray for our food at a restaurant. Sometimes I'll just be like, and I'll eat. And, and they look over and they probably know what I'm doing, but I'm not being real loud. And not. But listen, if you take one of my kids out to a restaurant with you and you go to eat, they will stop you and say, Dad, you didn't pray. And I'll be like, okay, Ryland, go ahead and pray. Or can is harder to get to pray. Can and Jeremiah, if you two don't quit it, he's harder to get to pray. We're also going to stand right up and I mean, he'll pray for his food, their food, the restaurant's food. I'm thinking, you know something about the restaurant food that I don't know? Uh, but, but the fact is, guys, we're called to be witnesses. John was called to be a witness. And let me just tell you, it wasn't popular for John. Much like today, it's not popular for us. But ultimately, you have to figure out who you're going to please. You're either going to please man or you're going to please God. Right? So that's your choice. You can please whoever you want. I'm just sharing with you, okay? So he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him because he's sharing what he knows, right? So the only way, let me just say real quick, the only way people are going to hear the gospel is by you sharing. That, that was a whole lot better in my mind. The only way people are going to hear about the gospel is by you sharing Jesus. Now, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21. It's by the foolishness of preaching that God desires for the Bible to go out. For the gospel to be shared, it's by the foolishness of preaching. Now, that doesn't mean that all preachers are foolish. Some of us are, but not all of us. But understand, oftentimes we look at that and say, well, it's the vocational guy that's supposed to preach. Did you know the Bible says that once you're saved, that you're all a priest? Do you know what priests do? They preach. Does that mean that you have to stand up and you have to crap? No. That means that you share what you know. That's it. And some of you guys are thinking, I've listened to you for four years, and you must not know much. I'm sharing what I know. I know Jesus. That's what I commanded to share. That's what John went out, and he shared with the intent not just to say it because there was some passion behind John, right? I mean, anyone who's going to eat locusts and honey, walk around in, like, bare fur, doesn't cut his hair, doesn't shave, and he's out there sharing, he's got something to listen to. John was passionate about what he was going to share because he knew the truth. How he knew it at this point? I, I believe it's divine revelation. The fact is he knew. We know. We've got evidence. 
we don't just have biblical evidence. We have the Bible, right? All 1,182 chapters of it. We have that. It, it's been concreted. We found Dead Sea Scrolls. We found other stuff that proved that the Bible really is real. Other religions, other religions prove that Jesus really did walk the earth without us. Matter of fact, the Quran, the Muslim Bible, talks about Jesus as a great teacher, a great prophet. Did you also know that it also references his death upon the cross and that he rose from the dead three days later? But they still don't believe that he's God. Now, their great prophet didn't rise from the dead. Matter of fact, you can travel to the Middle East and you can go see his grave. And his bones are still there, but I'm, I'm thankful that I don't serve a dead Jew in a Palestinian tomb. I serve a risen Savior. So, guys, we have evidence that proves it, but listen, I'm just going to be honest. When you go out and you want to tell someone about Jesus, you know, well, you know, Jesus, is, he's God, and he was Savior. And before I got saved, I was a... Uh, uh, who cares? Honestly. You, you got to, I mean, if you can't make yourself believe it, ain't nobody else believing that what you got is good. And here's the worst thing. Here's the worst thing. When Christians bash other Christians, or when Christians, I, I heard we had an episode in Sunday school. I wasn't in there. Uh, but when, when someone comes into a church and, and they want to talk about things that aren't biblical. Now, let me just say real quick, I believe abortion is wrong. And if you don't believe it's wrong, I'm sorry you're wrong, okay? I believe abortion is wrong. I, I believe at the very conception of a child, it becomes a child. God planted that child in the mother's womb, okay? So I believe it's wrong. Am I going to get on Facebook and tell everybody else who believes in abortion that you're a murderer and that you can just delete me? No. Why? Because guess what? If they die still believing what they believe, they're going to go to hell. And I have the answer to share with them. I don't have to agree with them, but I have to love them enough to share it. I have to love them enough to share what, my, what I believe. I have to love them enough not necessarily to argue my belief. I just want to share Jesus. Because I'm convinced, guys, if Jesus will get a hold of people's lives, he'll change the way they believe. We don't have to worry about it. Political disunity. We could start talking politics in this room with this many people, and we will have some differences of opinion, right? I mean, you put four Baptists in a room, you got 12 opinions. It's the way it works. So we'll have differences of opinions. That's okay. All I need you to agree with me on is that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We can go from there, okay? We all got to agree on everything. When, when did we become so shallow a people now, I'm not talking about America. I'm talking about Christians. When did we become so shallow and so perfect ourselves that when someone else does something that we believe is contrary to the Bible, that we just write them off and say, well, you can just go to hell? Now, we don't say that because, you know, we, we want to be politically correct and we don't, want anyone to, we don't want to end up in Facebook jail, right? You ever been to Facebook jail? It's like you go to sign on to your account and you can't get on. You're like, what? What? What's wrong? You go to your wife's phone and you try to sign on to her phone and you can't get on. And then you're trying to figure, and then all of a sudden you get this email from Facebook. 
And you know when you get an email from Facebook, it ain't good because you can't bond out. You've been put in Facebook jail for 60 days, 30 days. Because, guys, let me just tell you, when we get on there and we're blasting someone who believes in abortion, we're blasting someone who believes in gay marriage, we're blasting someone who's shacked up together, we're blasting someone who overeats, we're blasting someone who stole or murdered or any child rapist, you name it. When we get on there and blast them, we don't deserve what we have. God gave us grace. God gave us mercy. So where in the world do we think we have the right to blast someone else because of their opinion? I remember growing up, my mama used to say, you know, opinions are like, yeah, and I won't finish that. Um, anyways, okay, verse 10. Are we in verse 10? Uh, we weren't even done reading that. The other one, where we were on I'm sorry. Back up. I'll finish reading it for you. Okay. <laughs> True light that gives light into, to everyone was coming in the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. Why? Because the God of this age has blinded their eyes. I mean, when you go and you share Jesus with someone, and they're like looking at you like a, a calf looking at a new gate. Where did that thing come from? And then you get mad because they don't understand you? I mean, sometimes, I, I agree, sometimes it would be nice it'd be nice, but did you know Jesus didn't do that? Did you know even John the Baptist, who was probably a whole lot rougher than Jesus, he didn't do that either. Paul didn't do that. The one account we have an apostle of an apostle doing something physical towards somebody else was when Peter got scared like a chicken, whipped out a sword, cut off the ear of the servant, or, or the servant's ear, right? Jesus reached down, grabbed the servant's ear, healed him, and told Peter, hey, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Put it away. That's it. Now, I don't believe Christians should be a bunch of sissies either because Jesus wasn't. We'll find out in a couple weeks that Jesus actually formed a reed, went into the temple, and whipped a bunch of money changers out. Now, I'm just telling you, a limp-wristed sissy can't do that. Jesus was a man's man, but he didn't use force to get people to believe. He shared so that they would believe. John didn't use force to get people to believe, but he did say it. And, guys, we're forced to make a decision about Jesus. What are we going to do with Jesus? Do we really believe he created the world? Because if we believe he created the world, that makes him God. Before we go anywhere else, if we believe he created the world, as the Apostle John writes, that makes him God. If you do not believe he created the world, then you've not made the decision to trust Jesus. You've made the decision to reject Jesus. There's a thing out there nowadays, Miss Laura, maybe you've heard of it. It's called theolistic evolution. Theolistic evolution believes, you know what evolution is, right? That one day we were a, a, a tadpole with a tail, and then all of a sudden we, you know, made it like this, and some of us still haven't evolved yet. You, you understand, right? Um, theolistic evolution is people taking evolution and adding God to it and saying, well, this is how God designed the world. 
Now, I've said it before, but I believe that I've probably had, I, I, I know I, I've had some of my relatives hang by their necks. I've read it. I mean, I, I've, I, I don't come from, like, squeaky clean background. Uh, so I've had some relatives hang by their necks, but I've never had a relative hang by a tail. If you believe in theistic evolution, you should sue your brain for non-support. Okay? You've still not caught up. See, that's the devil trying to spin it to make it something that it's not. See, the word just said that by him all things were created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. Number two in your notes, they actually rejected him. See, they made a decision to reject Jesus. Now we read this, and instantly we're thinking, dummies? How did you reject Jesus? The same way many of us did for a lot of years. The same way we did. The Bible says this in verse 11. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Who is his own people? The Jewish people. Remember back in the Old Testament that God made a covenant with that man named Abraham? Remember that? Abraham was Jewish. Those were his chosen people at that point. Jesus was Jewish. I know some of us, that's like, we, we go, what, you're Jewish? Jesus was Jewish. He came to his own people, and they had the Old Testament prophecies. They had everything that marked exactly to the day he was coming. But they missed it because they were looking for a Jesus that wasn't really the same Jesus the Bible talked about. They were looking for a Messiah that would come riding in on a big white horse. They were looking for Messiah, a military leader. Some of the apostles, the reason they got close to Jesus is they believed that he was going to be a military leader and that, hey, let me just tell you, if someone's going to up, up in the government, they're going to overthrow the government. I want to be right next to him. Why? Because that means I'm going to be in a good position when it all gets resettled. Judas Iscariot joined Jesus because he thought Jesus was a military leader. He believed that Jesus would come and overthrow Rome. Not the Messiah that we see the picture of. Not the suffering servant. Not the guy who's washing people's feet. Not the guy who's hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors. Not the guy who touches a leper. See, he went to his own people and they didn't receive him. But I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that they didn't. And I know most of us are like, what do you mean? I'm thankful that they didn't receive him. Because, because they did not receive him, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 14, verses 14 through 16, tells us that he has become the apostle to the Gentiles. Because of the rejection of Jesus by the Jewish people, God decided that he would save the Gentiles. Now, that was his plan all along, no doubt. God knew what was going to happen. It didn't take him by surprise. But because of that, he took Paul and made him an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, just by show of hands real quick, is anyone Jewish in here? Actually, my boys can raise their hands. Miss, Miss Lee, you're Jewish? I don't know how you slid in. So we've got a couple Jewish people that could have made it. But the rest of us, well, we weren't, we weren't in. We weren't going to make it. 
Because, again, the Messiah was sent to the Jewish people. And in order for us to have been Jewish, we would have had to proselyte. We would have had to change everything about what we do to become Jewish. I'm just telling you, the first thing, guys, you have to give up is bacon. I'm just not going to make it. So because of the rejection of Jesus... Because of the rejection of Jesus, the gospel went to the Gentiles too. Does that mean a Jew can't be saved? No, they can be saved, but they've got to be saved the exact same way as you and I. Okay? It's, see, some misconceptions we have because of this verse is sometimes God just saves people based on their ethnic backgrounds. That's not true. Matter of fact, number three, we find that there are results for receiving Christ. We, we get results for receiving him. Verse 12 says, but to all, I ask you to call that word all, uh, because all in the Greek and the Hebrew, ready, means all. I, I, I studied all week to be able to tell you that. All means all. Regardless of ethnic background, regardless of financial background, regardless of criminal backgrounds, <laughs> regardless of whatever, all means all. And it says, but to all who did receive him, receive and believe are interchangeable there. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name. Now, many of you know my background. I was a foster kid for 12 years. I bounced around all over the place. I had a chance to be adopted. Uh, I was probably 16 and uh, I did have the opportunity to be adopted. My foster parents, who I call my parents now, wanted to adopt us. But in order for all that to work, they were going to change my name, and I wasn't having that. So uh, I, I stayed a foster kid, right? And my brothers and sisters were mad at me for years uh, because I, I messed it up for them. Whatever. Anyways, uh, this verse to me means a whole lot. If, you, if you're in this room and you've been adopted, it means a lot to you because you understand that adoption is not a right. It's someone who looks at you and decides, hey, I want to love this person. It's like people who go and get babies from China, right? I've got a friend uh, who lives in North Carolina. They've adopted two children from China. Two. They've got four. Yeah, they had four. They've just adopted two more. Now they've got six. I think we're in a race. But um, don't tell my wife. Uh, but... They, they made the decision to adopt that child from China. The child had no, no power to force that adoption, right? They had nothing but the, the grace that was given them to be adopted by American parents. And the reason they adopted them is they wanted to give them a better life. They wanted to give them a family that would love them. They wanted to provide for them in ways that maybe they wouldn't be provided for in China had they been left in the orphanage. They stepped out with no, no winning on their side. They gave everything. They had to pay thousands of dollars. They had to travel to China the first, on the first child. Rob wound up staying in China 30 days. He had to stay there 30 days before they would let him bring the child and come back home. The next time, Rob and Devney both went to China, and they were there two weeks. Before they could bring that. So they're separated from their other children. They're giving everything. They're paying everything to be able to do this. 
The child's done nothing to merit this. The child's done nothing to warrant this type of behavior towards them. It's because of their grace and their love that they did everything for the child. See, it's because of God's grace and God's love that he's done everything for us. He's made it oh so easy that all we have to do is believe in Jesus. And we have the right. Do do you get that? We have the right. If we believe in Jesus, if we receive Jesus, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name. I'm glad that John, under the inspiration of God, didn't write there that, well, as long as the church votes, yes, they can believe in Jesus. They can become part of the family of God. As long as the people feel like they, they, they believe enough and they, beha- they behave enough, they can belong to a family. I'm glad he didn't write that. I'm glad that he just wrote that if we believe in Jesus, if we receive Jesus, that we have the right to be called the children of God. I'm thankful that no one, no one on earth, past, present, or future, can change my right to be called a child of God. But it's because I believe in who Jesus is. See, there, there are some benefits to believing in God. There are some benefits to trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The biggest benefit is I get to be a child of God. I get to enjoy the inheritance. Now, my earthly parents... My dad didn't leave us anything. My mom, uh, my biological mom won't probably, unless, you know, she wins a lottery that I don't know she's playing because she doesn't buy any tickets. But if somehow that works and uh, she wins a lottery, then, you know, she'll leave me something. But other than that, not much. She actually sent me a box a couple weeks ago. Of, uh, I, I kind of got freaked out. Maybe some of you guys have gone through this with your parents. She sent me a box of, like, all these pictures and uh, papers and all this other stuff, and I'm thinking, why are you sending me all this stuff? I mean, you're like 64, no, 63, 63, why are you sending me all this stuff? I mean, is there, did you go to the doctor? Did you get bad news? I mean, what's going on? And she's, no, I just thought maybe you, you should have it. I'm thinking, it's a bunch of pictures of my sister. I don't want them, but, um, so, but she sent me, and that was pretty much my inheritance. I mean, I'll be honest, that's pretty much everything that she had, the of value that she gave me. She sent me a, a tablet, like a, you know, a tablet that, you know, came out like 25 years ago. It's still stone and got the hammer and the chisel with it. And, uh, but that, to her, that, that was everything of value that she owned, and she gave that to me. But whenever I became a child of God, I get to join in the inheritance that Jesus has. I get to one day walk on streets of gold. Now, I don't understand that, right? But I I think, I believe that there really are streets of gold, but I really think it's for us to understand that what we value here is not going to be as valuable there. Okay, that we're going to have so much more. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus told me that whenever he left, that he'll come again. He told me that upon leaving, that he'll return again to receive us unto him. See, so I don't have to hope that maybe he's coming back. It's not like whenever I got into foster care the first time and I thought maybe my mom would show up to get me. I don't have to sit there at the door and and hope and be brokenhearted that maybe she's not coming. 
I can watch for Jesus in the sky. I know he's coming. I don't know when he's coming. But I know he is. He'll be here one day. And you know what? Until he comes, it's our job as witnesses to try to get as many people into the gates of heaven and out of the gates of hell as possible. That, that's our job. So number four, and we're done. Number four is understanding your decision to trust Jesus. Understanding your decision to trust Jesus. The Bible says in verse 13. Oh, Ron said I didn't put it on there. Okay, verse 13, you'll have to read it in your Bible or on your notes. It says, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. When, we're, when we trust Jesus Christ, we've, I know you've heard people say this. My kids uh, probably understand this and could explain it maybe a whole lot better than I can some days. But when we trust Jesus Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, comes to reside in us. We're born again. That's, that's a term you're, you're familiar with if you've been around church at all. You're born again. Nicodemus asked, and we'll study it in a couple weeks, Nicodemus asked, how can I be born again unless I climb back into my mother's womb and be born again? Well, that's the time that you're born of water. This time you'll be born of the Spirit. This is the gospel. The gospel, when you're born again, remember it's on that board right there, that when you're born again because of God's design, His desire for us and sin took us away. When we're born again, we, be, we decide to believe. It's funny how that word's there, right? Believe and turn away. Believe and repent. John the Baptist, his, his favorite word was repent, repent, repent. Right? We find in the book of Jonah, Jonah's 44-word sermon was repent for the kingdom of, of God is at hand. Repent. When we believe and turn away, when we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, believing that he really is who he said he is. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says that old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. Do you know what happens when something new comes? It's born. Right? Anyone ever been born in here? Every one of you, duh. It's a trick question. I just was curious. Um, Norm, yours was such a long time ago. I don't mind. I mean, Norm didn't raise his hand because he was still trying to figure it out, but that's okay. Uh, Norm was hatched. They found... Uh, Norm, you might have been around when God formed you out of dirt. Uh, you might have been right there. Um, so it says that old things become All the old things are gone and everything becomes new. We're born again. We're a new creature, a, a new creation, a new creature. We're brand new. That's what happens. See, oftentimes we, we get saved, right? We, we go through the the process, the prayer, we, we get all of that done. We, we shake the preacher's hand, and we turn around and we walk out. And, and I, I don't think what's emphasized enough is that when you trust Jesus Christ to save you, God marks that as your birthday. My birthday, September 12th, 1158 at night, 2008. Now, I was born May 12th. Physically, May 12, 1976, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That's when I was born, but I was born again 
See, I, I believe God's calendar restarts. It starts again. It started September 12th, 11.58 at night. I was brand new. All the other crap that I had done, God said, okay, you're done with it. I don't even want to hear about it. Did that mean he relieved the consequences? No, you still suffer with your consequences of sin. But God relieved the sin. And I don't think we emphasize that enough to let people know that when you trust Jesus Christ, you're a brand new creation. God is looking at you now, starting today and going forward. We still walk out after we trust Jesus Christ and feel like we've been kicked in the mouth. Wait till we turn that corner. Satan's out there with the baseball bat. He's going to hit you right in the face with it and remind you of all your past. He's going to say, you scumbag, you don't deserve to be saved. He's going to make you think that everything you just did wasn't real. Somehow the preacher tricked you into it. I'm just going to tell you up front, I don't care if you get saved right now or not. This is your decision, not mine. I think salvation is the best decision you'll ever make. It will be a life-changing, life-altering decision. But I'm not here to trick you into it. Because I understand that if I trick you into it, he's going to trick you right back out of it. You have to trust Jesus on your own. You have to decide what you're going to do. So your life is going to be defined by what you do with who Jesus is. And I don't mean just salvation, guys. You're saved. You're saved, right? I tell people I'm, I'm so saved I got my bags packed out in the hallway. I'm just waiting on Jesus to call me to heaven. I'm ready to go. Now, I, I, I don't want to go yet, right? I mean, I'm not walking out in the middle of 41 standing in front of the Mack truck, right? I don't believe God's going to call me home till he's done with me, right? I'm hoping he's not done with me until I'm like Norm's age. I'll be here a long time, Alex. <laughs> Alex, what are you saying? I mean, you're, you're like, yeah. Norm, your buddy. Uh-huh. They were high school mates, Norm and Alex. Uh, but so, so I want to go to heaven. I mean, I want to go. But I, I, I'm selfish. I want to watch my kids grow up. I, I want to watch my grandkids grow up. And maybe if I get lucky enough to have a great-grandchild, right, Norm? Norm's got several. And if I'm like Alex, I could have a great-great-great-grandchild. He thought I'd let him off. But my life is defined by what I choose to do with Jesus. He was defined the day I chose Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But it doesn't stop there. My life is defined every day by how I choose to witness for Jesus. Whether I choose to do what Jesus told me to or not. My life is defined by what I put in this box, whether you believe it or not. My life is defined by how I treat that person who spits in my face. My life is defined by how I treat that person who believes abortion is okay. My life is defined by how I treat the sexual predator of children. Yeah. My life is defined that way. 
because of who I say Jesus is. See, I had you circle that word all because that word all encompasses everybody. It encompasses the Muslim. It encompasses the abortion doctor. It encompasses Nancy Pelosi. Just telling you. It <laughs> all is there. That's as political as I'm going to get. Uh, all encompasses the man and man that marched down to the courthouse to, to get a piece of paper that says that they're married. All encompasses your child who is turned wayward and run off from you and God and live in a life worthy of hell. All still encompasses them. And you make the decision that will define your life by how you treat them. See, Jesus in his last words before he rose from the dead, he's been spit upon. He's been stabbed in the side with a spear. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails that had glass and metal and literally looked like this, and as it came in, it would rip chunks. Mel Gibson did a great job on the movie, but it still didn't show us everything. History has shown us that the Roman soldiers probably put him in a room not much bigger than this one here with about three or 400 soldiers, and they beat him to a pulp. And as he drug himself out and carried the cross to Calvary, he laid down and let them nail his hands and his feet. They raised him up and dropped him in the hole. And as he's taking his final breaths, and they had done all that to him, he still prayed for forgiveness for them. Because the all included them. So your life will be defined by how you, by the decision you decide who Jesus is. But remember, our behavior will tell everybody what we really believe. I don't even have to say what I believe. All I have to do is do it. Communication, 76% body language. 76%. Verbal communication, about seven. What I do matters a whole lot more than what I say. So we're going to play a song, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision. You get to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. For some of you, you just have to decide that I'm going to start doing something with Jesus. Maybe it's not, hey, I'm not ready to, like, sell out and give my whole life to him. That's okay. Just keep coming. Just come, come belong. We want to love you right where you're at. I mean, I don't want you to, like, change to be one of us. I want you to come, and I wa we want to love you right where you're at. We, we want to love you just how Jesus, now, we're going to be truthful with you. So if you don't like the truth, you may not want to hang around. But we're going to love you despite you. But maybe you're here and you want to trust Jesus. Maybe you're at the point and you've heard all this and you're like, you know what, I know I need to. Then you need to come. 
I'll be down here. I'll talk with you. I'll take the Bible and show you. We're not going to trick you. I want to show you. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, preacher, I, I know who Jesus is. I've trusted Jesus. I made that decision. But I've not been living my life worthy of the decision of who Jesus is. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and just say, God, I'm sorry. God, I repent. And I want to get back where you want me. I preached a message several months ago, maybe almost a year ago now. Remember the main context of the message was, yes, what's the question? Some of you have never forgotten it because you say it to me all the time. But some of you need to get back to God and you need to say, yes, God, what's the question? What do you want me to do? And today's a good day to come down and take care of that. Maybe some of you are here and your marriages aren't doing well and you need to get together and you just need to pray and ask God to step in and, and do something in your marriage to get the enemy out and just fix your marriage. Love each other the way God said, not because we think we have to, but it's because that's what God told us to. Maybe some of us have wayward children. Can you imagine that, a wayward child? And, and we, we're like, God, what's going on with our kids? We, we've done everything we can. Maybe you just need to bring it and lay it at God's feet and love your child because they are your child. I'm not saying condone what they do. Some kids need their butts kicked. That's the problem. Sometimes they act like that because you didn't kick their butt when they were younger. Right? The Bible says spare the rod, spoil the child. So we've, we've spared a lot of rods in America. I mean, we, we, we built skyscrapers with them. Should have been whipping kids with them. Everybody doesn't win a trophy. Okay? When I was growing up, everyone didn't get a trophy. I had to cry a lot when I was just second place. But it taught me a lot. Now we raise a generation up who doesn't know the Lord, who believes that they're entitled to something. Let me just tell you, the only thing we're entitled to as human beings is hell. We're not entitled to anything else. But maybe you've got a kid like that, and you just need to come and pray. So, Brother Ron, I'm going to ask that you play a song. I'm going to pray, and we're going to open the altar. Father God, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would work and move in people's hearts. Father, I pray that decisions would be made today for Jesus. God, whether it's the one coming home to you for the first time, whether it's someone, Father, who's realized they've not been serving you in the way that they need to, Father, whether it's a marriage that's messing up, Father, whether it's kids that are wayward, whatever the case is, God, I pray that decisions would be made today. Father, we love you and we thank you. Come, don't sit there and wait. The first one's always the hardest.